Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. Yes, so today we're going to be talking about having hope when everything is hopeless. And to move into that, we're going to have a conversation to begin. And so your question for today, and this could be immediate hopes, long-term hopes, hopes after the pandemic, whatever it makes sense to you to share. But what are you hoping for? I hope that the conversations you had were generative and helped you think about your hope. I think it's easy in times like this to get very closed down and um, not even think about the future or what we might hope for because we're just trying to survive. And as Eric and Christine have also both referenced, we are, we are in a time and space in the world where the divisions and the kind of the bold hatred and outrage and um, the mean-spiritedness and the evil is just, it's just pouring out, and we all see it. You know, what's different about our age from other ages is that throughout history, people have been doing atrocious things to others. But thankfully, now we know about it, and now we can get the information, and we can be part of the protest of calling calling the world out to have a bigger vision of who we are, that we are all one. And I want to talk today as we go back to Genesis and the story of Abraham about that particular story in the context of the biggest story, which is the story of the very universe in which we live. We talk about Abraham as a particular person in history at a time and place who lived a certain journey. But the story began way before Abraham, way before a Jesus. And the story of God's love, God's love creating began with a big bang. This big bang that the scientists talk about that was the beginning of the beginning, the beginning of the universe, the thing that started everything, that within our Christian tradition, we believe that that was God and that God is love. So in the beginning was love, and all things came into being through love. And apart from love, nothing came into being. And in fact, everything that came into being was meant to come to completion and fullness in love. And at the center of our story in Christ is this message of Jesus that says, yes, the goal of humanity, the goal of people that are following Jesus the Christ is to be perfected in love. What does that look like and how does that unfold is going to be different depending on what part of history you're living in. Before Israel ever was, before our Abrahamic tradition ever was, that has been a foundation for all of the, the Judaism, uh, the Islam people, and the the Christian people, um, that before that ever happened, people were encountering and somehow trying to follow this longing for love, this life force, in ways that are probably not even recorded, we don't even know about, because we believe that God created all people, all living beings in God's image, and God's image is love. 
So there's this vast story that we barely even think about. And I think it's an important thing to think about as we're thinking about where are we going in the future. It's easy to get stuck in the past. And we know from many of our traditions that people get all cut up in, in the Old Testament and the covenant and the laws and this and that and the rules. And we know in Christ, in the new covenant, it's set free. It's not about following the law, uh, the written law, the letter of the law, the ABCs of the law, but it's about a bigger law, the law of love. So to talk about that, I wanted to introduce you to um, Teilhard de Chardin. Yay. Yes. So Teilhard de Chardin was a Jesuit priest, a deeply spiritual man who was steeped in the Ignatian spiritual way. And if you don't know about Ignatius, look, Google him. And, but he was mainly a scientist. He was a paleontologist. And he combined his scientific understanding with his spirituality. And he came to write some pretty incredible things about what it meant to follow Christ. So I'm reading from a book called Christ in Evolution by a, a Franciscan theologian named Elia Delio. Um, and, <laughs> and this is what, how she talks about how Teilhard de Chardin saw this bigger picture of the story of Christ. She says that he saw the love of God in Christ as a passionate love, a fire of divine love that energized and propelled this evolutionary universe toward the fullness of Christ Omega. Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That it was this power of love energy, a fire capable of penetrating everything and which little by little spreads everywhere because the center of the center of all things is the heart of Jesus, the energy that moves the world forward into the future and unites persons around their personal center in love. Wow. How would it change our lives if we thought about Christ that way? She says that the belief in this Christ power of love in an evolutionary universe is a dynamic coherence in which every element is intrinsically related to every other element. Wow. The power of love is to transform each one of us into a very unique, detailed, particular person. But as we go on that journey, we become more aware of how connected we are to each other. And as we go on that journey of love, we realize that our power is to be connected to other people, to contribute to the betterment of the world, and to create in whatever way we can, to give our lives to that bigger goal. There's a woman, an Asian American woman, named uh, Yuri uh, Yakachiyama, um, and she was somebody who I think embodied something of this journey in her own unique way, this journey of a covenant of love in Christ that expands and includes a bigger picture and is willing to move into the places where there are tensions and troubles and things that must be challenged. She was a, a, a Japanese-American woman, 
And right before she had graduated from high school and college, had been a Presbyterian churchgoer and a Sunday school teacher. And her father was uh, seized, detained by the FBI after the uh, bombing. And he was held for six weeks. He was sick when he was taken into detainment. And the day after his release, he died. He died because he was detained for being a Japanese-American man. And he died. Three weeks later, she and her family were sent to an internment camp and spent three years in an internment camp. That experience changed her. She left to become a a civil rights advocate, to uh, become partners with Malcolm X in his journey, and actually he died. Uh, She was holding him when he died. She was willing to put herself into the fight for justice because she had suffered so deeply. The problem with me and a lot of my white Christian American friends is that we have this white privilege that we aren't that close to the problem. None of us have had our people put in prison for the most part or jailed or murdered because of their skin color. And so we stand back and we don't put ourselves out. And I am in a journey of being called out to be one who does that. And I think that's the story of love that somehow we're going to weave back to through the Abraham story this morning. But I felt it was important to talk about this. And a quote from Yuri um, that we're going to look at just briefly is this one. Life is not what you alone make it. Life is the input of everyone who touched your life and every experience that entered it. We are all part of one another. This truth that it's what Teilhard de Chardin said, that every element, every part is connected to every other part. And it's love is the unifying force. And that is the message of the gospel that we need to look at and think about everything else in light of. Israel and Abraham have a particular story about their time and place of how love, God, was working toward the end, the end, the end, the end, which all things coming together in love. And the the words that came to Abraham were reflective of one man's story at one time. And so as we look at that again this week, we get to think about it not just as an isolated event that we need to like figure out exactly what was going on and that somehow apply that to our lives, but this bigger way of looking at scripture and thinking about our lives is to think it more expansively about how does this fit into the bigger picture and what God is calling me to today. So let's look at Genesis 17. It says this, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell down on his face and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. 
I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring throughout you, your generation, throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be your God to you and your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land where you are now an alien, all the land of Canaan for a perpetual holding, and I will be their God. This is a lot. And God said to Abram, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. And this is where it gets interesting. And when I asked Corey, what is this all about? He said, I don't know, but he must have been hearing from God because why else would he actually do this? (laughs) Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you shall be circumcised when he is eight years, eight days old, including the slave born in your house and the one bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both the slave born in your house and the one bought with your money must be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. Okay, well, there you go. Thanks, Corey. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarah, Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Can Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Abraham said to God Oh, that Ishmael might live in your sight. God said, No, but your wife Sarah shall bear you a son, and you shall name him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will bless him and make him fruitful and exceedingly numerous. He shall be the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this season next year. And when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael and all the slaves born in his house, or bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God said to him. Abram was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Bold move, Abram. Abraham. <laughs> and as Ishmael was 13 years old when he was circumcised, whoo, in the flesh of his foreskin, that very day Abram and his son Ishmael were circumcised and all the men of his house Slaves born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. And I think they took a few days off after that. (laughs) The word of the Lord. (laughs) So as Corey has talked about, this is a story that is written down many years later when the people are in exile. And it's a story written to give them hope in a time of hopelessness. Um, It's archetypal of our journeys of being called, of having a vision and a passion of who we are and what we want to be about in our lives, and meeting obstacles along the way. So we've seen the story. We've 
heard Eric talk about how Abram pimped out Sarah, you know, when he was in trouble. We heard last week, uh, uh, Frankie brought us the story of how Sarai, after, after 11 years, after the first covenant that God first spoke to Abraham, 11 years he'd waited, Sarai had waited. And they're like, okay, we're going to take matters into our own hands. So in this case, I guess she pimped out Hagar to Abraham, if we want to use that language. But this idea that they've been trying to figure this out along the way. And so here we are 25 years later, and Abram still has not had a child of his own flesh. And so when God tells him this, he falls down and laughs. It's like, yeah, right, God. And I think a lot of us can feel an identification with uh, Abraham. When in your life have you had a passion, a vision, a hope, only to keep trying and trying and, and, and to fall down on your face and to not make it? And then you show up again, or somebody says, you know, you should try again, and you're like, yeah, right. You get cynical. But the story of Abraham is meant to give us hope in the midst of the hopeless places of our lives. God's will for us is to become fully alive. In Abraham's covenant, God talked about him inheriting the land, which in that time and place, that was how you had power. That was how you had influence about having generations of children, which in that time, that was how you had prosperity and you could count on your future. But the thing that is the universal thing is that you will be a blessing, that you will be a blessing and many will be blessed after you. And the message of the New Testament, the new covenant, is that the being a blessing is about being a person of love. You know, you might have a vision, a dream, like I did at one time, to be, uh, have children, to have a family. But maybe you've bumped up against obstacles like Dave and I did in our relationship. Maybe you have a dream to be a screenwriter and produce a great screenplay, and maybe you haven't been able to make it there yet. Maybe you have a vision of a program that's going to help kids that are on the streets have education and health resources but you keep toiling away and running into walls. The promise isn't that you're going to get the thing that you're hoping you're going to get. The promise is that if we follow Christ, we become the love the world needs. And even the things we do that don't get us to the end game that we think we are supposed to go to end up impacting people's lives if we do it in the spirit of love. That is the blessing that we all get to participate in the new covenant. So at this point in time, two things are brought in for the people who feel hopeless and like, oh yeah, I'm going to try this again, God. The first is a ritual. The power of ritual is that when we are at crossroads or we are at a threshold in our lives or when something has happened or we want to honor something beautiful like a wedding that we're going to have. We want to honor the loss of someone, uh, a funeral. But there are so many other rituals we can do. When, when we got to the point in our journey where Dave was still not ready to say yes to having children, and I was wanting to have children, and I was into my 40s, and it was getting, you know, like, I'm like, yeah, I don't know about this body continuing to hold out hope for children. And every month at my time of ovulation, I would have deep grief. I would see 
at the Rose Bowl, I'd go walking it, and, and like there'd be the hordes of women with their strollers and their children, and I would like have to go to my car and cry. And I came to a point where I decided, okay, I can't keep doing this. I need to make a decision. And I decided to have myself a non-baby shower. It was a non-traditional ritual, but I needed a ritual to close that door so that I could invest my energy somewhere else. And that was a beautiful ritual to mark a transition in my life. Another kind of transition, um, I had the opportunity to uh, support one of our community members in a gender-conforming surgery. And they came to me and asked me, would you help me do something? Because I want to mark this moment. And it was so beautiful to get to, to have this simple Zoom ritual with them and their partner and, and honor that journey in their lives. We have another community member who's going to be going through, uh, is going through a divorce. And we've talked about what's the ritual she can in, in, it put together to help her mark that moment and hold on to hope when things look hopeless. That's the opportunity you have in your journey with Christ, is to be innovative and creative about what does it mean to you to embody this love, this grace, this new life, this hope. So that's one thing. And the other thing is a name change. So the power of name change so I've changed my name, as you all know. I went from Sissy, which is my previous childhood, early adulthood life. Now I have become more a Sicily. I'll drink to that. And in my new life as more a Sicily, it's because I'm expanding my identity. When Abram went from Abram to Abraham. Abram meant exalted father. Abraham meant father of multitudes. So there's this expansion of identity. Sarai meant princess. Sarah means noblewoman. So it's this idea that there are times in our life um, where we, we have a new identity. We want to step into something more expansive than what, who we've been. It's not for me, it wasn't that Sissy was a bad name or it's not my dead name, although for some people that's how they think about it, for those that are transitioning. But we get, to, we get to work with ourselves and find these ways to honor the things that are important to us at transitional moments. And the story today gives us examples of how we can do that. The story we tell ourselves about where we are when we feel hopeless has the power to either feed hope or hopelessness. We want to hold on to hope, but we don't want to engage in toxic, toxic positivity. And there's an author, you can Google her book, Emotional, Emotional Agility. Um, her name is Susan David. And her book talks about this idea that we have to be fluid with our emotions and that to get stuck in toxic positivity means to hold on to hope without acknowledging the pain and suffering. And this is a tricky place to be, but love, love is the consciousness that holds it all. Um, at our thresholds of our life, we have an opportunity to, to return to our identity in love, created by love, for love, to love, to expand our essence in love. And that's what we see in this story, is 
God's intervening in one particular time and place in one way to expand their consciousness about who they are and what God has for them. When we come to the New Testament and we look at this scripture through the lens of Paul, he says in Romans about Abram, when everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, choosing to put his faith not in what he saw he could not do, but in what God said he would do. And when we are in those hopeless times, we have to hold on to the one thing that we know that Jesus talked about, that we is God's will for every one of us in the world, really, because we're all in the image of God, is to love, <clears throat> to love God and to love ourselves and our neighbor, our neighbor as self. There is no other in that passage. <clears throat> we often hear that, excuse me, <clears throat> as love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> and it doesn't say as yourself, it just says love neighbor as self. This intricately wound, we are intricately bound to one another. If we go on and we look at the story uh, that Paul talks about in Galatians, he addresses this issue of circumcision. So it's amazing how it comes full circle. The whole book of Galatians is based on a controversy in the early church about whether Gentile Christians converts had to be circumcised or not. And it's a whole book about it. In the end, what Paul says is that in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything. What counts is faith expressing itself through love. So all of the, all of the rituals, all of the things we do, all of our spiritual practices, all of the things, all of the efforts we put into trying to follow Jesus and become more of who we are, are ineffective unless they are producing love. And as Eric referenced at the beginning, this young man whose church, they, that, they, didn't, they didn't disciple him in love. He didn't get transformed into love. God, have mercy. So this is the invitation of our lives, is to be transformed in love. And I'm going to go back and read you from Teilhard de Chardin and share what he said, or what actually Ilya de Elio shares about this. The mystery of Christ in evolution depends on a spirit of openness and receptivity to the other. When doctrine becomes rigid and truth vigorously defended, the whole evolutionary movement is resisted by the force of fear. We become afraid to live in the incomprehensible mystery of God's love. Christ is the word of God, and as divine word cannot be confined to one religious culture. Wow. Because the fullness of Christ must include every person in all creation. Elia, yeah. yeah. that's powerful. It doesn't mean just crossing the divides of denominations within Christ. It means honoring the Christ in Islam, in Judaism, the Christ in Buddhism, in 
whatever, that somewhere God's love, where we see God's love, there is Christ. Where we see somebody helping another, there is Christ. Whether that person claims Christ or not, is that the goal and the end goal? Is Jesus is my personal savior? No. I am love. Am I love in the world? The second quote I want to read from her is that God is the future into which we are moving, not a tribal God of some ancient history. We live in a dynamic and unfolding universe. Ours is an open system of life. In light of an evolving universe where change is integral to the emergence of new life, we should welcome change as the very sign of life. To resist change is ultimately to resist Christ. It is to prevent evolution toward unity of life in the universe. To be a Christian is to be on the way announcing the good news of a risen Christ through spiritual attitudes of poverty of being, humility, compassion, openness of heart and mind, values that can let Christ live in us and in others as well. So the good news is that God is going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. God is blessing you. Love is your nature. And our job is to, yes, be fully alive, know our dreams, work toward our goals. Yes, yes, for sure. But to know that it isn't getting the thing that is the most important thing. It's not what. It's who you are, who I am as I work toward what and how I treat the people that I'm on the way with. You could be a billionaire and still be a real asshole. You can be the person who makes the play and gets the game, but not treat your neighbor as a loving friend and companion along the way. So the thing we do know about God's will, and I think in our previous world of Christianity, there was a lot of wrestling, like, what is God's will for me? You know, is God's will that I marry this person, or I take that job, or this thing? You know what? You can do whatever. God's will is that you be a loving presence of Christ, whatever you do and wherever you go and whomever you're with. That's it. There is nothing else. The rest is a choice. And that we get to learn who we are, discover our unique gifts, and have visions and hopes, and be fully alive. God wants that. But he wants more. God, she, they want more that we be love in the world. So you get to be a blessing. You get to be Christ as you hope and pursue your dreams and be fully who you are. The rest will come into place if you live in love and continue to grow that deep, Christ consciousness within yourself. And that's why at New Abbey, we always go back to, how are you growing Christ in your life? What are you engaging in? Are you doing the thing that makes you feel more connected to your own belovedness? Are you being with people who enhance that sense of belovedness? Are you participating and contributing to the love in the world in some way? Those are the things we know are going to help us become more of that. So with that in mind, this new covenant in Christ is a covenant of love. And as you pursue your hopes and dreams, how can knowing this 
affect and impact the relationship you have with the things you hope for. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go into a conversation. God, thank you that this love of God in Christ is seen throughout history before Abraham was, you were. In Christ, you were at work through the world in people's lives. Thank you for the people today in this world that are working for justice and righteousness and equity that may or may not claim to know you and love you, Christ Jesus. But may we have the eyes to see you and all people everywhere and help be a part of expanding not just our own identity and love, but the identities of all people loved and beloved in you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As you go into your groups, here's your opportunity for conversation. The question is, how does the covenant of love impact how you relate to your hopes? I hope you have a good conversation. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.